Hey, it's Sean and Nathan. We want to welcome you back to the 13-Week Bible, Season 2. We are in Episode 4. Sean and I are sitting down to provide a brief preview of each week's reading as we move through the Bible in just 13 weeks. Today, we're previewing the rest of Deuteronomy, beginning with Chapter 8. We'll also preview Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and on through 1 Samuel, Chapter 15. Sean, how are you? I'm doing well, Nathan. How are you? Hanging in there. Today was an early morning, but uh, I'm here, and we're here to do something we both enjoy. You mentioned to me last uh, last week how much you appreciated the opportunity to just to, to kind of talk about the whole Bible. Yeah, it's really fascinating and fun exercise to do where we're just literally only talking about the Bible. I know that sounds maybe strange to some people, but... Um, for me, it's just been really enjoyable where we're not doing any application, which I think, you know, there's a place for that, a very important yeah. place for that, but we're just literally discussing the big themes of the Bible. Yeah, something I really enjoy doing. So uh, just an encouragement too, by the way, as you're listening to find somebody who will read or listen through the Bible with you that you can also chat with because you're going to have questions and puzzles. So just go ahead and Find that friend or group of friends and say, hey, will you do this with me? And uh, again, also, if you are struggling to keep up, just hang in there. Pull out that audio Bible if you need to and and um, just do your best to stay on pace because it really does pay off as you, as you stick with it. Uh, you'll catch stuff even if you feel like you're rushing parts, but that's okay. As you, I, I think the other piece is just, just tell yourself, I'm going to do it again. So whatever I miss this time, I can always pick up next time. I think making a habit of it is something really worth thinking about. So I'm going to do a quick run through of the, um, by the way, before I do that, I was going to do a run through of this week, the upcoming reading, but let's recap. Last week, in fact, over the last two weeks, we started in Genesis and last week we finished with Deuteronomy 7. That's a huge amount of history, which we're not going to recap today. We did two episodes for that. But I think it's worth stopping to just think about the fact that there's been mammoth changes. In just two weeks of reading, we've read, I don't know, thousands of years, you know, a couple thousand years at least of history um, has gone under the bridge as we've read thinking of the creation story, thinking of the fall story and the fallout, and then the Abraham story, and then the Israelite story. I don't know if you had anything to say about that, but I mean, massive amounts of history. Yeah, no, like you just said, and we talked about last week, it's a flyby of, mm-hmm. of that history. And, um, you know, it does slow down, obviously, with the time after Abraham, yep. but there's a lot of history that is covered there. And um, yeah, it just, again, shows you where the real focus is, that being the story and family sorry, of Abraham, as that's the sort of the, the focus of the whole, maybe to some degree, the whole Old Testament narrative is God's, God's promises to Abraham and, and his fulfilling of those promises as we work our way towards Jesus. Yep. And so um, we found ourselves last week 
all the way at the end of the Exodus. They're standing on the, well, they hadn't gone into the promised land, but they're standing on the other side of Jordan where they can look over into what was promised to Abraham, this inheritance. Abraham had actually been there before, then had his descendants had left, gone to Egypt, which was the end of the Genesis narrative. They found themselves in Egypt and then sometime later found themselves very prosperous and in slavery for in prosperous and then became enslaved because the Egyptians were afraid of them. And that's kind of the starting of the Exodus story. And so we followed that Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy was the Exodus story, the forming of the nation, the instructions, laws, etc., bringing us to Deuteronomy, which is um, basically Abraham's farewell speech. Is is that what you would sort of picture it? Yeah, a very a very long one. I mean, hopefully they had chances to to have a few breaks there in between. <laughs> right. The the, uh, the the message version, which I'm I'm going through actually kind of articulates it as Moses's farewell sermons as though these were, these were uh-huh. separate, separate uh, articulations of, of his closing kind of thoughts and departing reflections. Yeah. But yeah, either way, so, either way, this is, this is a series of talks or one long talk where Moses, again, as we mentioned last week, um, he's, largely speaking to people who were either children or weren't even born yet when they when they first you know left Egypt because now the the older people who refused to go into the promised land are dying off and so yeah these are people he's speaking to that may not either have a strong memory of or have no memory of because they weren't alive of you know the Sinai experience the instructions Mm. that came throughout the rest of the Torah. So this is Moses kind of trying to just review all of that history and those laws. Yep. So I want to come back to that. Before we do that, a quick swing through this week's reading. We're finishing up Deuteronomy, which is Moses, as we've just been talking about, finishing his, his farewell speeches, sermons to the people of Israel that have, again, these are the, these are the children of the original um, uh, members of the Exodus. And then Joshua is recording the settling of the land, the conquest of the promised land, and the allotment of territories. Judges is following the life or, or follows the death of Joshua, where the people go through a very tumultuous time of rebellion and then suffering and then deliverance. We'll talk more in depth, but that's the Judges. Ruth is an amazing story set in the time of the Judges about um, a faithful non-Israelite woman, and we'll get to that story, but it's a beautiful story of redemption. First Samuel, we get almost to the halfway point, and First Samuel records the transition from the prophet, judge, priest leadership of Samuel and into the first king of Israel. So again, we're covering massive, massive change here, and it's well worth following as you move through the settling of Canaan all the way to the first monarch of Israel. All right, Sean, let's slow down and process through, starting in Deuteronomy, just chat through these these, um, sections of reading this week. Yeah, that's that's a good 
good thing to do, as as we were mentioning, um, getting a little ahead of ourselves, that it's really a rearticulation or a reaffirmation of much of what came before. You know, laws about how to govern relationships, divorce, um, mm. etc. And um, and then, of course, I'm sure we'll get here uh, a little later. But the blessings and the curses, which yep. is a whole a whole you know topic that deserves a lot of attention. But you know, there's already there's also reflections on cities of refuge, which mm-hmm. shows God's heart for mercy, yep. um, and those types of things uh, that you know. Again, we've kind of covered before in previous books and passages, but it's just a reaffirmation of those things. Yeah, and that's a, a great, um, just a great reminder of God's mercy that shows up. It's often hard to see. We have a hard time seeing it from our 2023 perspective, looking back. Honestly, the, the history recounted, there's a lot of brutal history if if mm. you just stop and think about it. And um, I was reading through, and uh, I don't know, it was last year. And just some of the honest, angry responses to the injustice and the brutality, and and I think that's fair. I think it's it's okay for us to say this is nasty stuff that's going on. This is mm. this is horrific mm. stuff, and um, and I think for me, one of the things that I say to that is, it's important for us to recognize the mess that is the story of fallenness and the mess into which. God is trying to speak and ultimately bring redemption. Like this is a huge mess. And I think just Mm -hmm. owning that, that there's no way to clean it up. We don't need to clean it up. We don't need to sterilize it. It's a mess. It's a horrible mess. And God is making the best of it as he tries to sort out and, and, Mm -hmm. and bring people, um, redeem, Mm -hmm. restore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, uh, what was, important to point out as well is that um our lives are a mess as well like our oh, world that's is a so mess. true yes our our world is a mess right now so i mean there's a certain level of maybe convent like like acceptable conventionality that takes place in our societies now i mean especially in the western societies that we reside in that you and i do at least nathan um where there, you know, there's like a respectable respectableness about society now, and to be sure, there is a lot more law and order, and you know, we don't here in America have these mass, um, at least now we don't have these mass genocidal events and so forth and so on. But our world is not necessarily a whole lot better than it was back no. then. Maybe our Maybe our oppression is just more sophisticated now. You know, maybe mm. our violence. I mean, we watch it on TV, right? We watch the violence on TV. So we, you know, we, as as the saying goes, you know, people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great reminder. Um, so one, I want to chat on two things. One is the, you mentioned the blessings and curses. I want to get there. But before yeah. that, you also mentioned the recounting of of history, and I I find mm. it fascinating how often you get this either direct instruction or implied instruction 
remember the stories. God showed up in your past. Remember the stories. If you forget mm-hmm. the stories, your history is, your future is not going to go well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's an interesting point, Nathan, because um, I spent a lot of time with, with Jewish friends and, you know, they'll, they'll eagerly point out a common expression that's used is that, you know, Judaism or the Jewish faith is not a faith of creeds, but of deeds. Um, and that can be taken a few different ways, but one of them is, as I understand it, is that um, Judaism is a faith of history. It's it's not necessarily trying to articulate and promote these abstract ideas. Mm-hmm. It is pointing to a God who operates in history. He he has he has a, a story. He has a narrative, and it's not so so we need to recount that history and even you know god repeats that in deuteronomy 6 for example tell your kids this mm-hmm. over and over and over again at night in the afternoon in the evening like just promote these stories and you know tell them about how god delivered you from egypt how he brought you to the red sea so a recounting of that history is such an important part of what it means to be, you know, the people of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for that. Hmm. Uh, I think now we need to move to the blessings and curses. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I think about coming into this is the idea of, so if you look back to some of the genealogies, the Genesis story, you're going to find references to the names of the peoples that are referenced again in like Joshua and even mm-hmm. before Joshua as the territories being conquered. There's an interesting passage um, where God says, you can't go in now, basically, because they're still, um, they, they still haven't sort of, there's this language of filling up the cup and I'm not hundred percent sure mm-hmm. that if yeah. I'm forgetting if that's, used in the Pentateuch, but it is a biblical term of like Mm -hmm. their, their opportunity to figure out life. It's not over yet. They're making a mess of it, but they're, but it's not, their story's not finished yet. And then Mm -hmm. there's this sense when Israel comes in where God says they've had enough time and their wickedness has reached this level of, of darkness that, they no longer have a right to inhabit the land. So I wonder if we just talk about that, because I think that's related to the blessings and curses. So I'm just throwing it out there as kind of kicking off this brief conversation on the blessings and curses. Yeah, absolutely. I think what you're looking for is the Abraham story where um, God promises to bring them into the land. And he says, in the fourth generation, they shall return here. Um, You know, he tells says Abraham that your descendants would return here. Um, uh, This is Genesis 15, verse 16. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Mm -hmm. So there is a sense in which, yeah, there was this this iniquity would mature. Mm -hmm. And it's funny to use the term mature in this sense, but it would it would it would it would grow to full fruition and it would come to a place Kind of like a tipping point, I guess mm-hmm. you could say, um, so that yeah, the the reality of God's ways 
versus the ways of man and the and the ways of the evil satanic forces are brought to full maturity so that people could could see the degree to which each you know you know each way was the way it was um so i think yeah that's going on for sure now you know the 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 thinker in me would say well i mean how bad does it have to get before people are clear that these are these are clearly diametrically opposed, you know, ways of living. But yeah, I think that's a, a good insight that these surrounding nations needed to get to a place of of completeness when it came to their outright debauchery and evil ways. So, and and we're touching on stuff that's complicated. That as you read the text through, you're mm-hmm. going to be processing this. I'm still processing it. But mm-hmm. one of the things that came to my mind is because as you read the blessings and curses, what we find out is that God doesn't give Israel a free pass. He's not like those, those guys back there. They're all evil and horrible, the nations that, mm-hmm. that were in Canaan. But you guys would get like this free pass. I'm going to, because you're my people that I called, mm-hmm. I blessed, I'm going to give you this mm-hmm. free pass. God is very mm-hmm. clear in the blessings and curses, like the things that brought these nations to their knees will bring you to your knees. So, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. and in the instructions, multiple times, God specifically says, you need to destroy these peoples because if you take in any of their teachings and their idol worship, it's going to be your undoing as a nation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think that's an important point because, you know, he says in Deuteronomy, I believe it's Deuteronomy, maybe Numbers, I didn't choose you because you're better than anybody mm-hmm. else. Yeah. You're bigger than anybody else. You're small. I chose you said. because <laughs> yeah, you're small and insignificant. I chose you, and this is this is the theme of covenant. I chose you because I made a covenant with mm-hmm. Abraham, and I have committed myself to you. I love you, and even in the blessings and curses, he pronounces all these curses, but then he basically says, "Yeah, but even still, I'm going to remain committed to you, even if you." do violate the covenant. I'm going to remain faithful to you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Do you have anything else you want to say about the blessings and curses? No, I think, you know, we've kind of processed it on a, uh, before, you know, outside the recording of this, where it seems as though, and, you know, this might be imposing our 21st century sensibilities on the text, but it seems as though, it maybe is not as transactional as we suppose it is that it's more um i don't even know the the term that maybe we use or you use but it's more it's more descriptive than prescriptive in other mm-hmm. words these are going to be the natural yeah results the natural consequences this is not god saying okay i'm mad at you i'm mm-hmm. upset at you so I'm going to impose this from without. This is an external punishment, but it might be. And again, I might be imposing this on the text, but this is how I see it through the lens of of Jesus and through the lens of of you know just His law of of love mm-hmm. um, that we often reap what we sow. And so yeah. it's less externally imposed and more internally sort of you know, in, internally derived and originating. 
Yeah, and I we did touch on this previously. We're going to touch on it again because it's actually really mm-hmm. pervasive in Scripture. But the idea that sin sin has its own internal cost, sort of like jumping mm-hmm. on a building. You jump off a building, and when you hit the ground, God is not smashing your bones to bits. That's the pull yeah. of gravity and and momentum and the laws of physics just working. And so the law mm-hmm. of love is the same thing. We're wired to love. And when we go contrary to the principle, to, to the framework of love, we start breaking things up. And the consequence of that is embedded in the process of violation itself. There is a, okay. there's a cost. When you jump up a building, gravity is going to, going to call your name. When we step mm-hmm. into violating others, there is a weight and an impact from that that is inherent to the act of violation itself. Um, That's right. So, man, I'm just trying to collect my thoughts for a minute. One of the things that I did notice is that um, this idea that God says, I want them to be afraid. And there is, mm. you know, I like to think of fear, the fear of God as being like this, this sense of deep reverence and awe. Like there, there is that mm-hmm. sense where it's not terror, but you're in great, you're just, you're just astounded and in awe of, of God. And out of that is this deep reverence and respect. But that's mm-hmm. not the whole picture. It's not the whole picture in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. There's literally especially with the story of God's people, I think God is, is using fear as a stopgap. Like that's not the mm-hmm. end of the road. First John says that love casts out fear. Fear is not the mm-hmm. operative world in which God wants things to exist, but it seems to be a stopgap measure to kind of keep things from going off the rails. Yeah, well, I think this is a, a recognition of the transcendence of God in the sense that you know, God is otherworldly in mm. many senses, and there are there are realities that exist outside of me that I must I must step into and align with if mm. I'm going to live by the rhythm of of God's love. Um, and I want to underscore my conviction is that God never asks of me or anyone, including the children of Israel, he never asks of anyone anything that isn't ultimately for their own good. So mm-hmm. his, so, so when I'm invited to fear or respect or acknowledge God's otherworldliness, his holiness, his transcendence, he's not doing that because he's having an ego trip. He's exactly. not doing that because he has some insecurity he needs remedied. He's doing that for our own good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's right. That's a great and it's, point. And it's, a, and it's a recognition of our limitedness, right? It's a recognition that we are finite, mm-hmm. that I might not have it all figured out, that there are things that God sees and understands and knows that I may not be privy to. Mm-hmm. And so it's, a, it's, a, it's an act of humility, Ultimately, it's an act of me surrendering to a, a source outside of myself that I acknowledge has greater understanding hmm. than I do. I mean, you know, the analogy that's often used is the person who designs 
a car kind of knows how the car is supposed to operate better than the person who buys it on the car lot, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that's, that's part of what it is, but you know, uh, that confronts me on some level because here again in the United States and in the West, we have a very robust um, individualistic narrative where Mm -hmm. like we, we're the, we're the, we're the masters of our own domain. And, you know, we, you know, know everything and we have access to all knowledge, especially in today's age of, you know, Google and AI and all that. Like we have access to everything. We know everything. And yet this is saying, you know what? I don't know everything. Mm. And I'm going to surrender to the transcendent God who might see more of the picture than I do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one thing I wanted to touch on, and I just I want to run it by you and see what you think. Um, as we move into Joshua, Judges, and where we've already been in the story, we see references, um, and in the and and specifically also in the in the blessings and curses, where God says, "I'm going to do this." So you know, if you if you do the right thing, you're going to prosper. Your fields will always have produce, etc. If you if you disregard me, if you violate my instructions, I'm going to, and then in the curses, there's, you know, the sky is going to be like an iron dome, a brass dome, and and your crops are going to die. One of the ways I look at this, and I'd love to get your feedback on this, Sean, is I, I see in the story of scripture, there's this sense in which God is inseparable from what happens in the earth and the universe. In other words, Mm. God can't just sit back and in his easy chair, in big air quotes, he can't just sit back and let the world tick by Mm -hmm. because the world is sustained by him. So his response, whether he is active or passive, his response has direct implications in the human story. So for me, it's one of the ways of of seeing that when God says, I'm going to do this, his act of doing could could simply be him recognizing that when I step back, when I pull my hand back because you just don't want me to protect you, you don't want to go along with with the way Mm -hmm. of love, when I step back, there are direct consequences for me stepping back. I can't move in the universe, or, or I should say God can't move in the universe without that effect affecting the other inhabitants of the universe because our existence is so intertwined with the presence of God and the power of God and sustaining life of God. So mm-hmm. I guess I see that as one way to sort of understand the, the declarations where God says, I'm going to do this, doesn't necessarily mean that he's saying, I'm the one inflicting destruction, but him recognizing mm-hmm. that he's the one that when he moves back or forward, there's direct consequences for that action. And he's simply owning that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's good. I think I would also approach it from a, another angle as well. Um, we're kind of, again, we're reading this with our 21st century glasses, right. which have been shaped by enlightenment thinking, um, which is a whole other story, which is good and bad, double-edged sword. But I what what jumped out at me and my reading of this section 
especially like no other time before is I don't know if we can we fully appreciate the degree to which God is trying to establish monotheism hmm. throughout this mm-hmm. this this the whole Old Testament. We don't probably understand or appreciate the degree to which polytheism first of all was prevalent and those mm-hmm. of those who are listening just to define our terms um you know monotheism one god mono one yeah. theism god polytheism multi gods many gods um again living in the 21st century i know it sounded like a broken record the heirs of 2000 30 3000 years of monotheism we don't fully appreciate just how present and prevalent mm. and destructive mm-hmm. polytheism was. Mm-hmm. Maybe what partly what God is doing is he's saying, listen, when your crops don't grow, that's because of me. It's mm-hmm. not because of any other gods who have power over the crops. It's because of me. I am God and beside me there is no other. In the book of Joshua and Judges, this is God's constant battle in First Samuel, Second Samuel, Kings, Chronicles. This is his battle over and over again. Mm-hmm. He is trying to establish his power as the one and only God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And again, he's doing that. He uses the term over and over and over again, I'm a jealous God. He's jealous not for his own sake. He's jealous for our sake. Mm-hmm. He knows that our highest satisfaction, our greatest success comes when we have no other gods. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the very first commandment, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, John Calvin, John Calvin, you know, said and said repeatedly that we are prone to idolatry. We are prone mm-hmm. to create other gods. We're prone to set up other idols, and God is wanting wanted desperately to deliver his people from going after other gods because as we're going to get to in these other passages those other gods whether or not they truly existed or not is another story but whatever you know however they operated they led god's people into some despicable Mm -hmm. awful behavior that god wanted to to protect his people from experiencing Yep. In fact, in Isaiah, and this is one I may remember it later, but talking about child sacrifice, God said that never even entered my Mm -hmm. mind. Just Mm -hmm. so outside of the framework of God's thinking that he's like, that's not even something in my, on my radar screen. It's so horrific. So yet they were doing it. And yet they were doing doing it, it, you know, by, by first, you know, second Sam, first Samuel, like it's already a practice. Uh, First Kings, this is already a practice that they're sacrificing children, you know, in in fire. It's just like, praise God that he wants to to obliterate all the other gods. When you go into the land, get rid of all the other gods, get rid of all the other high places, tear down the altars. I don't want you involved with any of that. And it's like he was just trying to save them from such tragic behavior. Yeah. And I think it's valuable to remember that we've already seen the the human family fall off the rails more than once. I mean, you you have the first fall, and then you have the the fall before or getting off of the rails, not the fall, but getting off the rails that precedes the flood. 
And then you have getting off the rails where God confuses their language at the Tower mm -hmm. of Babel. And then they're off the rails again in a smaller, more localized sense with the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. So, mm -hmm. and then God's entering the story, not superimposing, like you can't just come in and, and miraculously enlighten people. He's teaching them in the flow of their story who he is communicating mm -hmm. to people who can't conceive of him because their minds are so wrapped up in the cultural climate. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's valuable to keep all those pieces mm -hmm. in mind that God is moving into that context and introducing them to ideas and to himself that mm -hmm. they don't have a framework for really identifying with. It's, it's very mm -hmm. new to them and he's trying to help them see what they had not been seeing before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think I'm going to get ahead of ahead of our reading here, but I want to mention it now because I probably forget it next week. Um, but it's really clicked for me when God is speaking to Solomon, and He basically says to Solomon, "You know, I, you know, I'm not going to bless you as much as I, I bless David because you haven't followed my ways as your father David did." Mm. And I'm thinking to myself. Well, what does that mean? David was more violent than Solomon. He certainly had a, you know, problem with philandering. You know, he had multiple wives. I'm thinking, what is God talking about? Well, the difference was is that David did not allow for any idolatry. He didn't mm -hmm. allow for any worship of other gods. Solomon did. Mm -hmm. And so God's like, David's following me unlike you, Sol David followed me unlike you, Solomon. And what he was talking about was David did not allow polytheism he didn't allow the worship of other gods and mm -hmm. so again that was god's that was god's chief aim he didn't it's not that he didn't care about the other things but he had to take care of that first mm -hmm. because that was the source of yeah. the other other behaviors downstream exactly yeah you get the the god picture the god relationship on track and the marriage issues and the mm -hmm. violence issues mm -hmm. will, in time, God can work mm -hmm. through those because his people are following him. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. So Joshua is uh, is the conquest of the land. There's a couple of, uh, one well, a couple of spots I was noticing in the story. One is the courage of Caleb. Mm -hmm. Caleb's um, one of the few. There was what, Caleb and, was it Caleb and Joshua? Caleb Am and I Joshua, forgetting they're someone? The ones. They're the ones who nope. were. No, they're the two. Who came, who were part of the Exodus and entered into the land of Canaan. Caleb's an old man and he's like, give me the mm. toughest territory because I know that God is going to be with me and I'm going to just go get wow. this. Well, that, that'll preach. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he succeeded. Yeah. Caleb succeeded. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But and, yeah, yeah this, no, no, I was just going to repeat what you were saying, where this was, um, you know, Israel going in and trying to, to take over the land and, and experiencing a lot of success in doing so. Yeah. The tragedy of um, AI, which mm. one of the Israelites took some stuff that was cursed because it was... Mm -hmm. property in Jericho, from Jericho, 
sad story, but that's followed by the sun standing still. Fascinating story to read about uh, a battle that God held the sun back so they would have extended light to fight in. They didn't have night vision gear back then. <laughs> Joshua 24 is a great chapter, wraps up the book with Joshua challenging the people to be faithful before his passing. Any other highlights for Joshua? We really got waylaid in uh, in Deuteronomy. No, no, no. Let's keep it keep it rolling, Nathan. And then Judges. Judges is, is uh, and cool. I don't have a lot in Judges cool. to say except, I mean, why don't you recap? What would <laughs> no. you say are the, what's the big highlight of Judges? Well, I mean, the punchline that kind of comes at the beginning and the end and says, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. You know, that's, that's, I think a lot of people, whenever I've heard Judges, you know, that's kind of the, a big idea. Uh, certainly there were, you know, deliverers and rescuers that rose up like Samson, like Deborah, yeah. mm -hmm. that, that, you know, brought some deliverance and peace to Israel. But um, judges, oh man, there are so many stories in here that I'm just like, what in the world is this all about? And again, if we're taking sort of a a code book approach or a literalistic approach in the sense of I'm just going to read the Bible to glean instructions for my life. If you if you take that approach with judges, you're just like you don't know what end is up and what end right. is down and yeah. you know the story that that just challenges me perhaps more than any other is the story of the concubine who right. You know, she's cut into pieces and sent to all corners of Israel. And you're just like, okay, what, what's the moral in this story? <laughs> but, but again, if you understand it, that it's a part of the larger narrative, you mm -hmm. don't get too stressed out about trying to glean some sort of application by which to live, you know, in 21st century America, you're just like, okay, this is part of the story where God is basically, I think, trying to communicate that, yeah, these people were messed up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And I think the other piece is that we've talked about is this cause and effect reality. And God is letting, allowing his people to say, mm -hmm. okay, that's the way you want to go. Well, I'm going to just step back for a minute and you can find out what it's like to pursue that idea, to worship that God, to do life that way. Mm -hmm. And they get themselves in a bind. They cry. He's like, sure, I'm here. I'll lift you up. Let's, let's deal with the scraped knees, the broken arms. We can, let's mm -hmm. patch this thing up and get back on board. So they would do that. But then like the, the candy across the street would look so tempting and they would go run the street again, get mm -hmm. run over by, you know, just this constant. And he was, I think mm -hmm. just helping to mature them or hoping to mature them by letting them experience the the cuts and bruises mm -hmm. of rebellion with the hope that they had recognized that the way of love is the best way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. It, it gives me pause when I'm tempted to say, when I read scripture and say, okay, who are the good guys and who are the bad guys? Mm -hmm. Like we want to do that. We think life is so neatly divided into the good people and the bad people. And, um, you know, even Samson, it's like he Complex. was a messed up, character and yet getting ahead of ourselves in hebrews 11 samson is pointing to as somebody who lives by faith and you're like 
okay, well, which moment really of Samson's life? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but he, even you know, the very end, he's like, I don't know, he 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 destroys the Philistines by pushing the pillars apart, and you're like, okay, I guess that's good in some ways, but. Um, I mean, that was, an, you know, what was his motivation there? You know, was he doing it because of God? Was he doing it out of revenge? And it's just like, okay, this just points me to the need for God's grace because everybody is messed up. And even, you know, beginning the Samuel, even Samuel lies about, you know, why he's going to, you know, where he, you know, to visit David's family. And you're just like, okay, is it good to lie? Is it not good to lie? You know, so anyway. The mess. This is a mess. And I think that is helpful, though, for us to think about, you know, we can sit back in armchair, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking as the term is. We can look back mm -hmm. at the plays and say, well, they should have done this. They should have done that. Well, you're not on the store. You're not on the field. And <laughs> and so it's recognizing this, just acknowledging the human story is a mess and the way to fix it. There isn't a shortcut, an easy way to fix this thing, to, mm. to come in. And and we like to think that God Almighty somehow gets a pass, that, well, he can do anything, so he can somehow magic wipe this thing, magic write this thing. And it's recognizing mm -hmm. that the human story is not fixable quite so easily with mm -hmm. freedom and and working within the context of free agency which is required to allow love to exist, that all of a sudden that complicates things at a profound level. And there are no quick fixes. It's a mess. And I don't know if that helps. It sort of leaves us hanging, but that seems to me like it's a big <laughs> piece of the story. Well, for those of us who are inclined and desire easy answers and tidy solutions, it is probably very discouraging, but that's one of the reasons why I love reading the Bible and doing so in a, a, a rapid pace is that it helps you, number one, realize that there's a lot of messed up people in the Bible. And number two, that I, I like to say that anyone who thinks the Bible is simple um, and clear, you know, there are parts of it that are clear, I think. But anyone who says that it's just plain and simple and easy, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. It's like, I don't know that you've actually read the Bible. Yeah, how much <laughs> have you read and paid attention to? <laughs> yeah. Now, fortunately, when we come to Jesus, he clarifies a lot. But even there, you know, it's still not just easy answers and fit neatly into boxes. Yep. So I would say as we're moving through, just keep in mind this idea that God is with us. And that, that God's idea, God's desire from the beginning is to be with his people. So he's with us through this mm. journey in this mess. And then hang on because things do, the, the water does tend to clear more as we move into other parts of scripture, into the Jesus story. There is some clarity that's, that comes as the story develops. So hanging mm -hmm. in there right. is, is pretty important. Ruth is yeah. a good is a great gonna, story. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, it's no, it's a breath of fresh air. It's a breath of fresh air. It's such a beautiful story. I'm just going to add, you know, not to belabor the point, but, you know, David, who's a man after God's own heart, we're going to get to David in a second. Um, 
David is a man after God's own heart. But I mean, would you really want David sitting next to you today if you upset him? Like, you know, he'd be, you know, he'd be liable just to lop your head off. I mean, <laughs> Solomon, um, you know, the, the wisest man in all the earth. Would you want him sitting in a room with your wife? You know, like <laughs> these, are, these, these are these are the types of complicating factors. But yeah, Ruth, Ruth is beautiful. It's a quick, small story. I'm sure there's yeah. more to it. And we read as well, but it is so beautiful. It gives us a picture of, 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 of um, commitment, of covenant faithfulness. Ruth mm. is devoted to Naomi. She says, "Your God will be my God. I'm going to go with you wherever you go." And it's so refreshing because, and it, it kind of turns things on its head as well because, you know, before it says a Moabite will not be allowed to come into the congregation of God for ten generations, and yet here's Ruth is a Moabite. And so it speaks to the the inclusive love and, and, and nature of God as well. Yep. And uh, the other piece is Judges is this terrible back and forth where it seems like the people of God are bent on doing anything but following him until they mm-hmm. get themselves in trouble. And here's a Moabite, uh, a woman mm-hmm. who's part of a nation that you can imagine the Israelites may have been jealous of. We want her gods. We we want to be like her. We, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm, she mm-hmm. sees the God of Israel exemplified mm. in, in its, in, in the broken story of, of Naomi and her mm-hmm. family and says, I want that God. So it also flips mm-hmm. things on the head in, in a time where the people of Israel are running from God. Here is a woman who is far from mm-hmm. God in mm-hmm. at least in her religious circle, moving toward God because she sees who he is. Mm-hmm. And that anticipates, you know, you made me think of, of Jesus when he marveled at the faith of the Roman centurion. He's like, I haven't found such faith even in Israel. So yeah. like, as you say, the faith is absent in God's people, but it's present in those who supposedly weren't God's people. Yep, and that's a theme that shows up over and over and over again in the stories in the Kings, which we're not in today. Story of Elisha, Elijah. There's mm-hmm. interactions with non-Jews that are full of faith. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we're going to wrap up with First Samuel, which is uh, starts with the birth of the last judge, and uh, who was also a priest or became a priest and a prophet, and that is Samuel. Great story, engaging, inspiring story of faith in a very awful time. The priests were just horrible in their behavior at the time of Samuel's birth. And you get a taste of that in the first uh, chapter or so of the book. And um, then fascinating story about the ark being run off and uh, coming back. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And then, of course, you know, the people want a king like the other nations. Yeah following a theme here and Samuel's discouraged and God says, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Nevertheless, give them what they want. He even mm. warns them saying, Hey, this is what's going to happen when you get a King. He's going to exploit you. He's going to take all your money. He's going, you know, they're like, we still want a King. Right. Um, and so Saul is anointed King. And again, another complicated person mm-hmm. starts out good. Seems to, even he even has a given the gift of prophecy, mm-hmm. you know, at times, but um, it doesn't 
not to get ahead of ourselves, but it doesn't end well for Saul. It doesn't end well. And we get a t taste of it in <laughs> chapter 15 where he doesn't carry out his yeah. mission like he's supposed to. You know, mm -hmm. I, you were mentioning Samuel and the transition to a king. I think it's worth noting that um, Samuel's own sons seem to have contributed to the distaste mm. of Israel for the prophet-priest mm -hmm. leadership model um, because their behavior was despicable. So mm -hmm. Samuel, another complicated story here. He's very faithful, but his own sons kind of poison the well or, or poison the system because of their dastardly behavior. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And one last trivia point. Remember the, the cut-up woman you mentioned? Back, I'm uh, sorry, which one? Judge, the cut-up woman back in Judges. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the concubine, the, the Levite. Concubine, Levite yep. The concubine, yep. And that led yep. to nearly the extermination of the tribe of Benjamin. Mm -hmm. Isn't that the right story? Mm -hmm. And yep. then Saul is from the tribe of Benjamin, the first king of Israel. So I just think that's a funny little trivia piece yeah. in the story. Yeah. So that is all, all right. for today. Well, no, yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just gonna I was just I was just gonna mention making sure we were clear on this as well. I said the Moabites were not allowed into the temple and yet that's the line through which David comes, right? The Ruth yes. and Boaz are you know the ancestors of of david so anyway just want to make that connection as well yeah that's right thank you sean well that is plenty for today go and get at your reading for this week god bless you as you move through the story and may you see more clearly the beauty of god in the middle of the human See, experience, live. Loveshaped.life.